Hola, amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Welcome, 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 amigas, to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. We have a beautiful soul here with us. I'm so happy that you're going to get to know her here. Her name is Veronica Ramos Clark. And let me just briefly tell you a little bit about her. Veronica studied chemical dependency addiction at Governor's State University in Illinois. She has a master's of health science in counseling psychology. She graduated in 1996 and she has focused her career on psychology and addictionology, specializing in alcohol and drug abuse. She is the owner and founder of Fresh Start Counseling Services. She's also an author and graduate of Jack Canfield's Train the Trainer Certificate Program. And she is happily married. She's been married since 1994, five, I'm sorry. And she's just here with us on a Sunday, amigas, on a Sunday. This woman is a workaholic because I know she's been counseling her patients. And I am so happy and proud that she's here with us Thank you so much, Veronica, for being here. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much. I feel honored to have be on your podcast. This is my very first podcast. Ah, oh, I love it. Even better. I hope it's the best one. <laughs> well, my love, thank you so much. Like I said, I mean, you've got a long history of things that you've done. And like I do with all of my amigas out there, I always want them to say, a brief history about their life, because obviously who you are today wasn't the person you were born, right? I mean, we're right. born, we have a family and you're Latina. So let's talk about that. Like, how was your family? Are you, are you a daughter of X amount of siblings or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. amigas want to know, want to okay, know your absolutely. journey. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I come from, a, I think, typical, huge Hispanic family. My father was actually married twice. First to his first wife, he had five boys and a girl. And interestingly enough, he married a woman that was 10 years his junior. And then he married my mom. And when he married my mom, after he got divorced from the first wife, he married somebody that was 20 years his junior. So my mom was 19 and he was 39 when they got married. 
and he already had five boys and had adopted a girl from her first marriage. So um, with my mom and dad, they, there was 11 children altogether, the, uh, six boys and five girls. So altogether, there was 17 of us. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, not, not, not too strange for a Latino family, no, right? No. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But, you know, I think I, when I, I know from my experience and in, in my family is that when they, you know, they come to the United States, the numbers start decreasing, right? I don't know if it's because of financial means to support uh-huh. other people, right? Because I know, at least in, uh, for, for what I recall my family saying, you know, in Mexico, I mean, obviously, at that time, they didn't have TVs. So <laughs> what were they doing in the free time, right? Absolutely. They had more, more personal time. So kudos to them. But here in this country, to have that many kids, that's, I mean, how did they do it? How did they do it? Very, very unusual. Well, my father was a workaholic. He was a domestically violent alcoholic and a workaholic, thank goodness, because he had two families to support. And we just, you know, made it. My mother would buy a big bag of rice and a big bag of beans and that would pretty much stretch itself and you know I remember we would have tacos but our tacos were just like a little bit of ground beef you know layered there like a piece-sized grains of the bits of I remember I'd go to people's houses and I would see them like stuffing tacos like full of meat and I'd be like oh my god look at how huge those tacos are oh my god <laughs> I didn't realize you know when you don't know that you're more than it's okay, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah, you don't know. What you yeah. don't know, you don't know, of course, obviously, right? So, you know, you mentioned a little bit about domestic violence and he's your workaholic and an alcoholic. And I know I really want to get into that. Okay. But before we get into that, I wanted to know a little bit more about your childhood, your your experiences in life and what that helped in shaping you in your career. Okay, uh, well, Basically, I had to be in survival mode because a, a lot of things that happen to adult children of alcoholics is we develop characteristics and we basically have to adapt certain roles. And if you want me to, let me read real quickly about some of the characteristics and roles of adult children of alcoholics. An adult child of an alcoholic is an acronym, an acronym ACOA is what we call ourselves, and uh, the firstborns usually are the heroes in the family. Uh, they are very smart, responsible, straight-A students. They always stand out for as superstars in the family. And they serve like as second parents in a dysfunctional family. So that was my older sister. She was very much like a, a small parent in the home because there was a lot of dysfunction going on. So their strong characteristics is they like to be right, but they also fear very much being wrong. There's the lost child. So there's the hero, the lost child. There's the placator, the scapegoat, and the mascot. Uh, the lost child usually is somewhere in, in the middle of the birth order. They tend to be the ones that are forgotten when naming off the kids. The lost child is quiet and has learned to blend into the woodwork. They struggle with their feelings. They rarely ask for help, and they don't speak up for themselves. The placator. The placator usually is in the middle or somewhere usually in the middle and avoids confrontation at all costs. They are natural born counselors. They like peace in the family. They like to negotiate. They're they're perfect salespeople. (laughs) They are fearful of drama. 
and they will often make decisions based on fear rather than what is best for them. The scapegoat. The scapegoat usually is the last or second to the last born in the family, and this child is often in trouble. If something is missing or broken in the house, you can pretty much depend. It was probably this person. (laughs) It was probably this scapegoat that did it. They are the most often in trouble and usually the first person to seek treatment for alcohol or drug abuse problems. They're considered like the black sheep of the family. And then lastly, the mascot. The mascot is usually the baby in the family. They have great comedic timings. They have no problem, you know, dating boys or girls, you know, because they're very popular in school. And they usually don't make the best choices with mates if they come from dysfunction. And the mascot is a great relief in the family of a dysfunctional family because it usually takes away the tension that's going on in the family. So for me, in these, just to describe what I was as a child, and that's why I gave you these roles, I was a combination of a loner child, a lost child in in the family, and I was a placator. So it explains why I became a counselor. And, you know, I always felt, even though I was in a huge family, that I was a loner. I was very much a loner, and uh, I took to reading books a lot. And luckily, I like self-development books because I knew I had low self-esteem. It's like nobody had to tell me that. I already knew that I, I could not talk up for myself because what happens is when you're always, you know, about the flight or fight mode, right? When you're scared, yeah. you know, we have like four core emotions where, which are mad, sad, glad, and scared. So, you know, when you're always startled and you're always scared growing up because you don't know when the shoe's going to drop, when your, your father's going to like lose it or something, you kind of stay into a survival mode. And mine was to be a placator, to always be what they call fawn. Now there's fight, fight or fawn. And, and I was a fawn. I was basically somebody who was always serving, always helping. I always like to be liked. You know, I was a people pleaser. So I just use that as a survival mode. And it's, it's, you know, it serves you in a lot of purposes as an adult, but then it can also be the biggest problem that you have because you can overdo it with being over generous, over pleasing, and you just wear yourself thin. I can, I can imagine that, like just always constantly serving, 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 supporting, supporting, serving. And it's like, you're left like by yourself alone, alone, as you had mentioned, and who's going to serve you, who's going to support you. And especially when you were a kid, like, how did you find a way to get out of that mindset of being loner and, and always supporting and always serving? I know that, I know you just such a great supporter, but I know that as a professional, you know the signs. So you learn how to get out of that, right? Mm-hmm. So that you're not right. you're not the, the 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 statistic, the what a patient, if you will. Right. Now you're the counselor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm always curious, like, how did you manage to get, you know, try to get out of that zone? Out of that. Honestly, Jackie, that's why I love so much what I do, because when my clients come to me. I really love to go do a deep dive into their childhood because that's when I, once I discover what kind of person they were and we try a lot of techniques to get them to that place because a lot of them don't want to go back, but that's where you heal. When you know yourself, you can heal yourself. So I knew I was a loner. So what does a loner have to do? 
they have to do the opposite in order to expand and grow. So I knew I had to be in social networks. I knew I had to join groups. I knew I had to get myself out there, you know, because my thing was to be an introvert and to be by myself in my room reading a book where I had to do the opposite. So I have learned to be social. I have learned to be in more social groups and connecting it and trying to bond with others and having that type of connection because, you know, as a child, I did the opposite. So that, yeah, I, that was definitely one of them. I could totally tell in terms of, because I mean, you're part of this group that I'm so happy and honored <laughs> to have been a part of Fire and Soul, which we mutually share this admiration and love for this group. It's a course that we took. And I mean, for me, it's been a game changer because I, I get to meet people like Veronica and how how they how they handle their shit and their stresses and how they have been so supportive. Veronica has definitely been a supportive person in this course. And uh, you know it's interesting when she's telling us right now that you know she had to do the opposite, but you wouldn't know that. Through this course, I would never have known that she was a loner, that she was the quiet one, <laughs> that she was the, the what, what did you call it? Fawn? The fawn? Yeah. yeah. yeah like you would never know that because she is very social <laughs> and, yeah. and supportive, but not in the, in the sense that it's like extreme. And it's beautiful. I mean, I'm glad to have known her through these mediums. Now, here's the thing. You said something about that you go with your clients and you take a deep dive into their childhood. And I, I mean, if you allow me, can we take a little bit of a deep dive into your childhood? Because mm -hmm. we're talking about domestic violence and that you've been a survivor of it through your family and your father has been an alcoholic. So can you share with us a moment where you knew like, okay, this is a serious problem. Like maybe a circumstance where you saw with your eyes and witness that this was huge and that this was not normal. It's not normal to be in this, in this situation right. as a child. I, th I think one time that I can recall, I was outside playing with my friends and my father came out and he was completely naked. <laughs> so I was like, oh, well, <laughs> that's traumatizing. <laughs> so no I way. that wasn't normal, you know, so I was like, okay, you know, I was like, Dad, go inside, you know, or him, you know, coming in, you know, from school and then just seeing, you know, him laid out, you know, naked, sleeping on the couch because he was, he was an alcoholic and he was, he didn't realize, you know, that he was exposing himself, obviously, but, you know, it, that was traumatizing. And that was like, this isn't normal. And as a kid, and I think it added to the fact that I was antisocial as a child, because I was afraid to bring a friend home. God knows what they would see, you know, my father either losing his temper, you know, or exposing himself or doing something inappropriate or being fall down drunk. So that wasn't something that I was ashamed of that. So I didn't bring people around to my house. So yeah, ah. obviously I knew something like as an adult, I could name all of it now, but as a child, it was just kind of like, you know, instinctual, don't bring, it's probably not a good idea to bring a friend to my house. <laughs> no, no, no kidding. Right. And where was your mom and your siblings? Would they also see this? I think as an adult child of an alcoholic, we kind of, I don't know if you've ever heard of an elephant in the room. 
Yeah. Like yeah. we would walk around the big elephant in the room. We, mm. we all lived in the same house, but we never talked about the problem. Never talked about the problem. Like, you know, dad's an alcoholic or mom's codependent. And she just, you know, kind of goes with whatever, you know, my mom was 20 years younger than him. So she pretty much was afraid of him, just like we were. We were all afraid of our dad. So when you do things based on fear, you're very conforming to whatever the the thing that's going on. Whoever's in power and control, my dad was, if you know about domestic violence, there was a lot of power and control going on. And my mother just pretty much went along with everything. I mean, she tried to protect us. I mean, she would get in front of my dad when he would try to hit us, you know, so she was protective in that way. But as far like formal education on anything or my mom had a very low self-esteem too. And so, but luckily by the grace of God, and, you know, I apologize to anybody that this might offend, but my father died when I was 17 Mm. and I felt a great sense of relief. My mother went into clinical depression at that time. And, you know, it was kind of like all of our kids, we were like prisoners in an asylum. But my, my mother went upstairs and she was in her room all the time. So us prisoners were now running the asylum. <laughs> Pretty much did whatever oh the heck God. we wanted. Oh my God. <laughs> One in the streets doing it. Yeah, my brother joined a gang. I quit school. You know, I started ditching. And you know what's odd about me, Jackie, is I would ditch school and guess where I would go? Okay, let me guess, because because I, I now know who you are. You went to the library? I certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Of course. Smarty yeah, pants. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I was addicted to self-help books at 17 years of age. And I was just like, oh, my God, you know, I love this. And I would just... Anything I was interested in, I was just picking it out at the library and and ditching school to read books. Silly, but true. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, if I were like you, I mean, I'm sure I would be the same way because I enjoyed going to school. I love learning. And so that would not seem strange or odd <laughs> to, to just go to go to go to the library. And nowadays, I mean, I don't know if these kids have a library because everything's so digital, right? I mean, oh my God, we're Absolutely. losing touch with all those things, unfortunately. But okay. So here, it's like, like you said, it was like an asylum. You guys were the people that were running the asylum house. Oh my yeah. God. Like yeah. take me through a typical day of that because that, I mean, Nothing true whatsoever. <laughs> honestly, several of my brothers and sisters had already moved out, the older ones. Okay. So I moved out probably when I was about 18. So I was, I don't even recall a lot of what happened to my younger brothers and sisters. I know that I got a job. I got a job working at a factory to try to help out until I turned 18. And then I moved in with a friend. So I was only there a year longer. So my brothers and sisters, I think they suffered. We all suffered from the dysfunction that went on. Most of my family members are alcoholics or addicts, unfortunately, because that's what they saw. So a lot of them have not received a formal education, college, graduate school like I have. So a lot of us were hurt by that. I actually ended up getting a GED, but I had a horrible pattern of picking men 
that were incredibly dysfunctional. You know, they were domestically violent. They were addicts or alcoholics. And I was with a guy that was like a womanizer, marijuana smoker, and he physically beat me one time and he choked me almost to death. And I finally left him. And luckily during the same time, I had got my GED. I learned to be a reservation agent. I went through a training to be a reservation agent for Midway Airlines. And uh, then they went under. But everything has been a blessing to me. Everything that has happened to me in my life has been the biggest blessing because I have firsthand knowledge what it is like to have uh, severe abuse, deal with alcoholism and how it ravishes the family. And when I lost my job at Midware Airlines, it gave me the opportunity to go to college because they put us through a career track thing that was basically almost for free. And I learned I needed to be in the helping profession. And then I, I wanted to be a therapist, a mental health therapist. But while I was taking my one of my electives, my 101 electives, they went through addictionology, which is a study of psychology, addictionology, and sociology. So I was like, oh my God, this is addictions and it deals with the mental health and it deals with the sociology of it. I mean, I'm like, this is, I was completely engulfed in it. I was like, this is me. I have to do this. And this is how I can help people and tell them it's not okay. You know, what's going on is not okay. And I can help people. So I knew that was my purpose. I knew that that's why it was here, but why God placed me here. It placed me here to try to help others learn, you know, the way you grew up is not right, but what you can do with your life this going forward is totally under your control. You know, just recognize yourself, see what you picked up that's not good and flip that over to be something excellent for other people to help other people in life. Oh my God, you, I mean, wow, what a change. I mean, from being an asylee, I mean, for better, for worse, right? To who you are right now. And you have a company Mm -hmm. built on this. Can you tell us a little bit more about your company and what your focus is there and what do you do and how many clients do you see? And do you see patients like, you know, also through the court system? Because I know as an attorney here in the state of California, like I've done so many family law cases that we sometimes have to deal with psychologists and and go through child custody evaluations and they're in the court system. So that's the kind of stuff that you do in your company as well? Yes, absolutely. Yes. I had a dream in when I was getting my degree, I was like, I really want to open up my own agency. And what I did to let these fellow entrepreneurs know is I asked somebody that had their company, I said, can I, you know, be an apprentices for them? They had first said they were going to pay me for the apprenticeship. But when I went in there, they said they couldn't. But I figured I needed to get my certification. I needed to get my cert- licensure. And I told them, okay, well, if you show me how to be my own business owner, if you show me the ropes, I will just go ahead and work for you for free. So I did that for over a year, learning all the ropes. It was hard because, you know, throughout it, he would say, I'm going to pay you, I'm going to pay you because it was hard work. Mm -hmm. I ended up getting the keys to the place. I mean, I really learned everything about it and it was a blessing to me. Mm-hmm. So I started off, I wanted to, I mapped out where I wanted to work at, what, what city I wanted to work at. I knew I didn't have any money for any, 
anything, you know, to start a business. But I started renting the back of where I really wanted to be because I visualized where I wanted to be. I wanted to be on Calumet Avenue. I knew that that was the busiest street in this big city. And I told myself, I visualized myself there, but I knew I, I couldn't afford it. It didn't make any sense, Jackie. But I, I went to this one guy and he said, you know, I have at this place in the back. And, and I told my husband, I said, he says, if, you know, I can get somebody to repair, blah, blah, blah. And my husband was a carpenter. Yeah. So he repaired all the different things. Yeah. It helped out, you know. So I only paid a $100. Yeah. So I was the secretary. I was the counselor. I was the accountant. I was everything. And um, so I, one of the most terrifying things to me was my self-esteem, my self-confidence. So Mm -hmm. I had to build that up and I used affirmations to build up, you know, I, you know, I am smart. I am confident. I can do this. And I had to go in and, and introduce myself to the courts and stuff like that. And I would give free speeches about addictionology and how it affects the family and domestic violence and such. And that's how I would advertise myself. But every time I would go to try to speak, I was just terrified. So I would sit like before a meeting, before a judge, because I don't know what it was about a judge deck. The minute I got in front of a judge, I knew, I just knew I did something wrong. I don't know why I felt so guilty. I was like, there must be something I did wrong. I felt so guilty in front of this judge. I was terrified. But I would have, I would like pep myself up, you know, like, yeah. okay, if fear the fear and do it anyway. Fear the fear and do it anyway. You got this, girl. You got, I mean, I'd be like cheerleading myself. Yeah. Go and give a speech, you know. Oh, yeah. Like what Tony Robbins does now, he psychs himself up. Girl, I knew about that before. I, I just did it naturally. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I, I knew about that before Tony Robbins was Tony Robbins. Yeah. No, and I, and you know what? I mean, because you you spend so many, so many days at the library learning about personal development. Yes. You already knew that yeah. these mantras, these affirmations yep. work. They work. Absolutely. You know, and um, amigas out there, if you haven't done a certain class of personal development, you are missing out. Number one, you're, it's, you're missing out. Mm-hmm. Two, it is critical for your development and for your growth, truly. And I'm so happy, Veronica, that you're talking about it because it's so important. I don't think Latinos, I mean, I'm going to make a general statement here, but I do have to say when I go to the Tony Robbins events, even here in L.A., California, I mean, you would think that the majority would be Latinos in the stadium. No. Wow. No, not at all. So I think that um, more Latinas, because we're talking about amigas here, one way to handle their shit is to actually dive deep in personal development. Like this is, I mean, amazing. Thank you so much, Veronica, for reminding us that affirmations are important. Visualization is important. And you visualizing that you were going to be near that main road. Yeah. And and you made it happen. Yes. And then a year and a half later, I bought a prime spot near the corner because I wanted a corner spot, but I got the the spot next, which was just as good because you don't know how many times that corner spot has been hit or (laughs) squeezed. So Yeah, God has his way of looking out for me. I'm telling you. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was able to purchase a building there. And then I went on, somebody called me from two counties over and said, you know, we need the Spanish speaking 
people out here. We've got Spanish speaking people. So I went ahead. I said, well, if you can guarantee me so many clients per month, I'll go out there. So I went out there and I opened up a second location. And then I opened up a third location uh, three years later, I opened up a third location. And now during COVID, I opened up a fourth location. Amen. Mic drop to that. This is right. Yes, Veronica. I mean, she she is a badass Latina. She's handling her shit because she's opening up even when people are losing their jobs and people are losing their companies and businesses. But no, not Veronica. Thank you so much for saying that because I think a lot of amigas out there need to understand that if things are happening out there and they look ugly and they look like struggle, it's all in you to make a change, right? I mean, because things are happening for us, never to us. And when we have that mindset of things that are happening for us, you're always looking for the good. You're always looking for the upside. And you, you're like, okay, I'm going to get another place in this year of the pandemic. Well, felicidades, amiga. This is amazing, beautiful. Now, okay, so you have all these places. And, you know, I wanted to get a little bit back into what's it called addiction and the signs of addiction, because I think, uh, you know, one of the things I read up today, I was reading on statistics about Latinos and alcohol. And Mm -hmm. I read that Hispanics who choose to drink are more likely to consume higher of volumes of alcohol than non-Hispanics do. So I'm starting to think, I'm like, okay, homegirl here, (laughs) likes to party, likes to go out. Well, not as much as before, but, you know, I do, I like to drink. And so I'm thinking, wait a minute, is there an addiction problem here? If I I drink a certain amount of alcohol, like what, what constitutes an addiction? Well, it has to affect the major areas of your life. So, and yes, culturally, we're more prone to being like Irish too. They're culturally more prone to be an alcoholics because so much of our culture is enwrapped with dance and celebration that includes alcohol in it. So yeah, we could be more prone to it. And, and not only that, if we come from like, we're third, as far as I know, third you know generation of being alcoholics because my grandfather on my mother's side was an alcoholic. My grandmother on, you know, so it's kind of generational as well. But in terms of the major signs are, do you have financial problems with it? Okay. okay. Due to DUIs or you're spending too much money on it. So like every day you're buying a 12 pack or a pint and stuff like that is, did you get a DUI and now you have to pay five grand for a lawyer and you're, you're in the criminal justice system. So you're looking at uh, socially, is it affecting you socially when you go out to a party and you're getting fall down drunk and now everybody socially at a party is taking a look at that? How is it affecting your family? Are your family deeply concerned about you? Are they looking at you like, oh, uh, Freddie's going to drink tonight. Look out for Juan. He's on the second bottle. You know, So uh, people know usually before the alcoholic does. So our environments will tell us Usually if you're calling off on Mondays or, you know, so you're still, you're working that weekend drunk binge and stuff and not coming in. So it's affecting your job now. Mm. Is it affecting your relationship? Is your wife threatening divorce because of this? Is your health affected? You know, are you having to go to the, the doctor and the doctor saying, uh, looks like you got a little sign of cirrhosis here. 
Have you been wow. drinking a lot? You know, so your environment and your body will tell you and your family, you'll start to hear, you know, what's going on. But it's usually, it's screaming at you before uh, before your people are ready. Because the first thing a lot of times we'll see when they come in is denial. Mm-hmm. I don't have a drinking problem. My friend gets <laughs> yeah, you're friends and alcoholic too, honey. That's why you're hanging with the birds of a feather flock together. Birds of a feather flock together. Absolutely. I, I totally get that. I had a, an uncle, uh, he passed away a long time ago when I was a kid of cirrhosis of the liver. And everyone said, oh no, he, he drinks himself every day with booze and he became violent. Uh, you know, I don't know what came first, the chicken right. or the egg. Like, right, right. Because, you know, are you just a violent person and then you cope with alcohol and then you do the burst? I don't know. Like, you know, yeah, what comes yeah, usually first? The, usually the violence is there, the anger is there, but, uh, you know, alcohol is a lubricant. It's going to relax you. It's going to let your inhibitions go. So sometimes things that are there, like people say, oh, I know who you really are when you're angry or how you really feel about me when you're drunk, because it's like truth syrup, you know? So, you know, yeah. it, it does kind of, you know, you know, they say the drunk never lies. I grew up always hearing that a drunk never lies. Cause they, they just, it is truth serum just mm-hmm. comes out like a, yeah. like a floodgate. Right. Yeah. Oh, this is like super interesting. It's environment and family will let you know that you you have a problem. You have mm-hmm. a problem and your and health, the, your body. Mm-hmm. Oh, your body. Yes. Yes. I can imagine. Oh, I can certainly see that. Wow. This is so many amazing notes to take. Like amigas out there, believe me. I mean, I've God during college eesh, and even like during law school, like, oh my God, <laughs> I go back and I'm like, Jesus well, Christ. Well, you know, college <laughs> is different too, Jackie, because a lot of times I could diagnose somebody if they're like in the third year of college probably as an alcoholic, but once they move out of that stage and they're becoming, you know, independent and they have a family and they're stabilizing and stuff like that, then, you know, they start to really stabilize. Some people in college is where they started the roots of alcoholism, you know, so people have to really be careful in college, but a lot of them, it's just a transitional period. And and it's just kind of like situational alcoholism in a sense. Because like I said, I could diagnose a lot because I'm like, nah, you know what? You're still a kid. I can't really give you that diagnosis because you may grow out of this. Right. And thank God most people do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good to know. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. It is very good to know. <laughs> so tell me, Veronica, tell us, amigas. Okay. So I know you've written books and uh-huh. can you talk about uh, the latest book that, that is supposed to, I think you're, it's going to get published or it's, it's coming out soon. Yes. On April 1st, my book is called Blooming in the Shadows, How to Thrive as an Adult Child of an Alcoholic by Veronica Ramos-Clark. And then the second book is the one that's written with, I believe, like 15 authors. uh, And that one is called The Year the World Paused, Stories of Inspiration and Transformation. Wow. So you got two books coming. Yeah, two books yeah. coming out within nice. a couple months of each other, correct? And where can we find these books? They'll both be on Amazon, but after like April 1st, you could probably go to freshstarcounseling.org and it, there's probably going to be a link on there for it, but it will be on Amazon. They will be okay. on Amazon. Yeah. Oh, great. Thank you. Because, amigas, you need to 
Uh, learn more about Veronica because she is a, a wealth of information and she's got personal experience to um, as proof yeah. of the, that, that she's been out of that circle of addiction and violence around her, that she's just a, a beautiful soul who decided that, nope, this is not my life. I'm going to get over this situation and the introvert is no longer the introvert because she's placed herself in these beautiful social settings where she gets to meet people. So Mm -hmm. she's no longer a statistic. So thank you so much for that, Veronica. And I know that um, you guys will put it in the show notes so that they can turn around and go and purchase your book when it comes out. Mm -hmm. So Veronica, you know, before I let you go, I always ask my guests, what are one or two tips on how amigas can handle their shit? Well, I've got five tips for you. And then, I was, <laughs> then I was hoping that if anybody ever wants to get a hold of me at freshstartcounseling.org to set up an appointment, I'm going to just tell you my prices. It's $140 for a biopsychosocial assessment, which takes about an hour and a half to two hours. But we really get into your shit. Okay, I'm telling you that right now. So be ready uh, if you're coming. And yes. then $80 a session after that. So I'm upfront about my prices. I'm like, I'm just going to tell people. So number one tip, I've got five of them here. Know what you want, write it out, list out what you want, and then ask yourself if there's a need for it out there. Does the world need this? And if it does, totally go for it. Totally go for it. At least get one person to back you, to support you, because you need that support. At least one person who believes in you means, like for me, it was my husband. He was just like, you want to open a business? What? Okay, what do you need? Yeah. Well, I need you to build a wall right here because this dude gave me a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. okay, you got it. Yes, girl, yes. <laughs> so, number two is a study everything, everything, everything you can get a hand on of, of your craft, of whatever. If you were making shoes, study everything about shoes and keep on learning and keep on sharpening your tools. Don't ever stop learning. Because if it's something of interest to you, you should probably be fascinated and passionate about it anyway. Number three, trust your gut. Your gut is always going to tell you what is going on there. So, you know, for me and when I was ever, I was doing business and something they said or whatever didn't sync right with me, you know, people tell you who they are very quickly, pay attention and then go the other direction if you're not feeling it. Because you'll feel it. And for me, sometimes I feel it in my belly, like, oh, you know, that didn't sit well with me, you know. So listen to your body, listen to your mind, really sit with yourself before you make any kind of big decision. Number four, as far as being nice to everybody, you'll never know who is, and talking about attorneys, there was a woman that I was, I'm nice to everybody, guys. I am nice to everybody. That's just my trademark. It came easily. It's just who I am. Yes, but she is. If, if it's not you, <laughs> if it's not you, fake it till you make it. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I was nice to the janitors, to, you know. So every year I make the malas for whoever you know is referring to Fresh Start. If they refer to me, I'll, I'll make them tamales and I'll take them. It's a thing that I love to do, and it's culturally what we do for you know when we're showing people that we love them. So. I would always take it to an attorney that was referring to me, but then I would take it to the secretary. Well, that secretary ended up becoming an attorney and then becoming a judge. So you never know where you're going to get your big, big uh, sponsors and referrals. And, you know, so be nice to everybody, not because of gain. It's just, it's karma. 
And it all comes back to, and that's my last thing is karma. Think about karma and the vibes that you're putting out there. Always wish everybody, everybody the best. If you don't like them, wish them the best even twice further. You want to love on those people, especially because they're healing you. Whenever you forgive, you are actually making yourself stronger and you're attracting more wealth and more abundance into your life. I promise you that. I promise you that. Oh my God. Amen to that. Amen. Vibes. Always wish the best. Oh, you know, they always say, well, they, people say like, oh, um, have your friends close, but have your enemies closer. Right. Yes. Yes. And it's that concept of like, okay, wish them the best. And it's so true. It's difficult for some individuals to wish them the best, but it's important for karmatic. Is that a word? Karmatic? Is it karmatic? Well, you just made it, girl. Let's put it in the dictionary right now. (laughs) That sounds good to me. We're going to put it in the Webster's Dictionary. (laughs) But it's true. I mean, it's just like, it's it's almost like an energetic exchange. I love that word, karmatic. I'm going to use that. (laughs) Karmatic. Karmatic. I'm like, is that a word? Is is that, because in true fashion, Jackie fashion, I'm always in like uh, making up words. (laughs) So it's an energy exchange. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just because this person dislikes you or you've been told that that person is talking smack about you. Okay. You know, if the person is, well, oh, well, you know, that's, that's that person's opinion and that has nothing to do with me, but what is to do me, with me is how I am with that person and how I choose to react with that person. And I, if I choose to be kind, then that is just going to circle. It's going to circle, right? It's going to bounce off. Yeah, it's about me. It's about me loving me beyond anything. If somebody's choosing to be negative, I'm not taking that on. I'm taking on being positive towards them and being loving towards them. I can't even count as high as many times as people have shown me a negative face. And then my friends are like, why are you being so much nicer to them? And why did you drop off tamales to them and peanuts and this kind of thing and send them a, a Christmas card or whatever? They're not doing business with blah, blah, blah. But next thing you know, that person is letting another person know, hey, you know, Veronica, she's a kind person, you know, and we don't yeah. even do business with her. And this stuff comes back to you guys. Oh, it yeah. comes back to you. Twofold, threefold, fourth. I mean, so many yeah. times over, so many times over. Completely agree with you. And thank you so much for sharing your five tips for these amigas that are here to learn their shit. (laughs) I love them. And like I was telling Veronica, in all the episodes that I've done, every amiga has a different way of handling their shit. And it's always different. And I'm so, I love it because there's not one set of rule to handle it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, It could be as many things, you know, it's like, it's like when you read a book, not every book is the same. Right. And that's a beautiful yeah, thing. That is a that's, beautiful thing. That's what the world goes, goes around. It goes yeah. around. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amiga, for being Thank here with, with me on Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast on a Sunday. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Have a rest of the evening because I know it's nighttime over where you at, right? Yes, it is. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Well, thank you, my love. Thank you so much. I love much. you so much, Jackie. I You're so you. awesome. You're oh, so amazing. Thank you. Yeah, you are you are a superstar. Oh, hello. So are you. <laughs> <laughs> love you, love you, love you. I love you too. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit Podcast. If anything resonates with you today, please share it with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias y hasta la próxima.